What's up, citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger, and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access, you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality, Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com. Non-rockabotus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yeah! Yeah! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. Take an amazing journey to a place that will blow your mind and move your heart so you will never be the same again. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 36 through 37, y'all. Welcome back to Apologia Radio. This is the gospel heard around the world. What's up? Welcome back. Luke the Bear. What is up? Joy the Girl. Hello. She's back in town. She's back from the farm. Doing a little farming? Yep. Yeah? How was the farm? You also was, was doing great. some cooking. What kind it of, was. Yeah. And it she was, got to cooking. She got to cooking. Yep. Lots of people, lots well, of pies and cookies. Well, we missed you. Missed you guys. She too. also got a gnarly burn on her forearm. I did. It's really how, not how, that did, bad. Did you pet any interesting animals? Oh yes, I did. What and what did, did you pet? Um, I pet some kangaroos. I pet a capybara. What's a capybara? It's like a it's giant largest, guinea pig. It's the largest rodent. Ew. It is like sort of a big guinea pig. They're it's, really cute. It's a delicacy in some countries. Ooh. I don't want to talk about that because yeah. that's not something I, I want to believe. I pet a yogi bear. Um, and then Baseball I pet bear? a lot of cows. One day I went out to visit the animals and all the cows were very uh, licky. So I got lots of cow kisses. Is that I a got, technical term? Licky? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So licky, I got licked licky by a yak, a zebu, a Scottish Highland cow. Dexter cow, a Scottish, a Scottish Highland cow. Yeah, was mm-hmm. it? Uh, They're super cute. They have this big, like, furry mass of hair on top of their head. Oh, neat! Big horns. A Watusi. A Watusi. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've never heard of these things. Oh yeah, isn't that a tribe in Africa? No. Oh, that's a Watusi. Well, I mean, Watusi is the one close. I'm referring to. Is a, a, it's not a cow, but they have huge. I mean, look it up. 
these antlers. You would never want to be. Google it. You would Just never want to be Joe. on the end of these horns because they're insane. Okay. But yeah, so um, that's what the Watusi. You get the horns, right? And you're laughing, but once you look <laughs> it up, you'll be like, "Oh no, 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 no!" Watusi. <laughs> did you Watusi. fight the kangaroos? No, I did not. They're little babies. We can't have uh, little joeys. We can't have full-grown kangaroos because they could literally kick the cages down, uh-huh. and then they'd get out and they'd roam the farm, which I'd fun. be fine with. Did you see but. the video going around uh, last week? It was a guy in Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a huge kangaroo outside mm-hmm. his window. Did you oh, see yeah, that? and he's like, it was like scratching on it. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like came up to his window at his house and was like, like it was like thug life. It was like, oh, yeah. what? What? It was Those like, things are strong. It was throwing its chest into the window. So like, you're what? fighting one, right? When, next week? Yeah, when I go to Australia. Mate. I told you, if you fight one, you gotta get it earn, recorded. You can earn your nickname. Have, oh. you guys, have you guys seen the Brave Wilderness videos? Yes. Did you see the recent one he posted? No, today which one? Or which yesterday? One? What did he, he do? He got stung by the number two most painful, uh, like, bug. <laughs> I don't know the name of it. Is that the one with a huge, it looks like an ant and it has a huge, like, um, it looks like a, it looks like a needle that goes into your skin? It got him no, in, thanks. Did, did it get him on the arm? He got him on the, yeah, it got him on the arm and his arm went paralyzed. No, thank it, you. It's a, it's a tarantula hunter. Oh man, no, I didn't Tarantula. see that. I can look oh, that. This is the guy that's that, my new favorite YouTube channel. Yeah, this is the guy that it's basically awesome lets channel. animals and insects bite him. Yeah. To show you what it's like. By the way, that's Marcus Pittman, King Ginger. How's it going? And we also have a guest in the studio today. Her name is Leah. What's what? up, Leah? Hey, from Canada. From Canada, eh? Leah from Canada. The that's right. Of, the land of bacon and maple syrup. Amen. Yeah. Amen yeah. to that. We love that. And socialism. Yep. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and socialism. Hey, Joy, I have a question for you. Well, okay. hold on real fast. Also, we have uh, Steady okay, Randy. Fine. Steady Randy for NPR segment today. Yes, waiting in the wings. All right. Okay. Steady as always. Proceed, sir. Did you put any snacks or pies or anything like that in the pouch of the kangaroo? No. Because, first of That's all, disappointing. I don't feel like I'd rather get kisses from a kangaroo and pet one than worry about invading like a, its personal Not like a slice of pizza space. or something? No. I don't think they would like that. That's its private space. And also, as we've discussed previously, those are that's not like a Ziploc bag. It's not like your wife's purse. (laughs) And it's fanny pack. It's not something that's like. Hold on, I would trust the the pouch of a kangaroo before my wife's purse. It's a kanga pack. (laughs) It's not like something that they just like. Like it has a specific purpose, and it's not a super clean thing. That and I can imagine there. the thing it's, never gets clean. No. These are all excuses. Never. It's me. just dirty the oh, whole yeah. way. Well, you could have put like a prepackaged snack in there, you know, like a, like a. He has a point. Yeah, like a little. Well, but what snack would be the purpose of that? Why wouldn't you? Just to There's see not if a bad I could do it. Yeah. Juice box. Because I don't like. Right. Juice box, like a pre-sun, yeah. Like the, you just put it on a leash. The possibilities. And you just put all your little snacks in a little ice pack in there. Are endless. You know, you could put a PBJ in a little Ziploc endless bag. Endless possibilities. I'd rather just. You just need to be creative. I'd rather just hug it. Yeah. You I don't do really need too. to use I it wonder, for storage. Like, if you domesticated these kangaroos, if like they could, they could hang around and be your brosif. Like you, you know, could give it a backpack too. They're domesticated too. kangaroos, I'm sure. Well, I mean, like, that have like to have it as a, a legit pet. Like if one day, a thousand years from now, I can have instead of a Doberman Pinscher, I, I can have a, a kangaroo. Right. Just hopping around my house. That would be epic. And probably a better defense than a Doberman. Right. Because those things are... Someone tries to break in, it's like over. Like if you've ever looked at like the muscles in a kangaroo. Yeah. Thug, they have like pecs. Thug life. And like, I mean... I was surprised strong. an intruder. 
Right. Like right. nothing else. You're like, right. no, they would just not eat, like even if the kangaroo didn't kick them, they'd just be like, no, like, no, no. But in that case, like, <laughs> getting you, out of you here. wouldn't be like, go get him, Joey, because that just that's like a little kangaroo and it's not very threatening. So you got to call it like something like, hey, go get him, Tony. Like, you know, Tony the kangaroo, something mafia thuggish. I have an idea to make some money off a of kangaroo. How? You put one of those little uh, baby carriers on it. Yeah. And you put the kid in it and you can charge for rides. Yeah. A front pack and I'm, a backpack. I yeah, would ride. Double. Both. I would yeah. ride. Just picture it. Picture me and a baby <laughs> carrier on a kangaroo. It's probably strong too. enough to carry you. Yeah, what about honestly. Me? What about me? Is that too far? Or? I don't know. Okay. Mm. I'm sure some animal rights activists would have something to say yeah. about everything we're saying right now. Right. PETA sucks. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We're talking about the bread. Because that's delicious. Yeah. No. Because no, <laughs> that bread. is delicious. <laughs> All right, so hey, let's. Uh, we have some. Uh, I'm actually going to do a response today. Uh, we uploaded a video from the conference in Iowa, and the name of the video is "How to Completely Refute Atheism." And uh, somebody did a video. An atheist did a video called "How to Complete How to Completely Refute a Complete Refutation of Atheism." Yeah, really creative. Something like that. So anyway, we'll just touch a little bit on that today. But before we get into it, before we do our NPR, not public radio segment, I want to just do a quick discussion. Is this discussion. going to be a refutation of a refutation of a refutation of atheism? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, I wanted to do a quick discussion about um, the WikiLeaks stuff that has been uh, dropping over the last, well, for the last couple of years, but in spe- specifically over the last couple of weeks related to Hillary Clinton, related to uh, certain sectors of our government and major players in our government. Uh, and so uh, let's let's get into this discussion. And Marcus, you've been doing a lot of work in this and doing a lot of research. So I, re- I read, by the I way, I, I read the quote from uh, Matthew there and talking about secrets being revealed and day of judgment, because uh, that's what's going to happen one day. There's going to be a final judgment after Jesus wins everything with his gospel and brings all the nations to himself and 1 Corinthians 15, when it's all said and done and, and death is put under his feet, then that's when Jesus is, is going to deliver this this victorious kingdom over to his father. Read it. 1 Corinthians 15. Just read it. Let it let it flow uh, all the way through, and you'll see. That's exactly the timeline of history according to um, the inspired apostle in 1 Corinthians 15. But the final judgment is coming. All secrets are going to be revealed there. And however, there are moments in our history where there is sort of a um, preemptive revelation. <laughs> there is revelation that takes place, secrets that get revealed before that final day of judgment. And I think that's where we're at right now with the WikiLeaks stuff. And, and before I let Marcus run here, because uh, I want to I want you to tell us the story you told, you told me, um, I want to say that the thing for me that right now is a bit disheartening is that even with all of the crimes committed, even with all the secrets revealed uh, from the WikiLeaks drop, it doesn't seem like it even matters at this point. Like, it seems like every week over the last couple of weeks, I've seen major news websites and uh, conservative websites and these things, and they all have like the same tagline, the same clickbait line. This revelation from WikiLeaks will end Hillary Clinton's campaign. Right. You know, and they all say it every week, and it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. It, it seems like we have bred uh, people that only emote. That's all they're capable of doing is, is millennials and our generation, people just emoting, and that's all they have. And even with revelations that have come 
like the ones that have come over the last couple of weeks, it doesn't make a difference. You can commit crimes, you can be involved in some very, very wicked things and dark things, and still run for president of these United States. It doesn't make a difference, because really there's no ethical standards. And, uh, you know, just as an example, the Project Veritas thing that just came out, where there unbelievable. was... It's unbelievable. There was a person that essentially <laughs> uh, hooked up with an organization, got um, undercover footage... James O'Keefe. James O'Keefe got undercover footage of this organization essentially bird-dogging the Trump mm. rallies, um, and that's essentially sending people there to incite violence, to create difficulties, to get it on camera, to have journalists see it, so they can essentially create a narrative... Um, that um, people at Trump rallies are these violent people. They don't think critically. Now, by the way, you know how I feel about Trump. Okay, so this is not me supporting Trump. I also I also don't like lies <laughs> about what takes place right. at the rallies, so I'm not going to go along with um, the lies. But, I mean, the person is actually recorded for a long period of time explaining, you know, forget F, he's an F the ethics of the thing. We have to win this. You know, sort of a thing. Like, and doing all kinds of just manipulative, just disgraceful things in terms of trying to manipulate the election process mm. and lying about people, their character, what they're doing at these rallies. Here's the thing. That comes out, and who cares? You know, David Daladine, the videos come out about Planned Parenthood, exposing Planned Parenthood and what they're doing and selling baby parts and everything else. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Everyone, you know, for a moment goes, oh, that's awful. And mm-hmm. then now we're just on our merry way like it never happened. And right. you can expose and expose and expose, and it doesn't seem to matter. And I think that that's judgment on our nation mm-hmm. because it means that our nation has no standard, no righteous standard to appeal to to say this is off the mark. And so, therefore, you've fallen short. You don't have the qualifications for this particular office. We don't have a standard. And so you can expose all you want, it seems, in our current culture, and it won't make a difference. Not in the least. Okay, Marcus, tell us about WikiLeaks. That's because God is lifting the veil. Yeah. So we're going to just, that way we'll be complete, we'll we'll, we'll be a partner in our judgment. So tell us us about the, the current status with WikiLeaks and Assange, and that's how I say his name, right? Assange? Yes. Okay. So I think the first thing to mention is Julian Assange is not, uh, he's not a, a vigilante, right? So he's not hacking governments and, and uh, he's not hacking into emails and stuff. All, all Julian Assange has done is he's created an anonymous Dropbox system where people in the government who see corruption can have a way to let the people who they work for know. So, so the Dropbox is what WikiLeaks does. It allows uh, corruption and stuff that's sent to be released uh, anonymously. And so he's acting as a member of the press, just like if New York Times were received some letters in the mail from government about corruption, they would post it too. So that's important to mention because the Bible condemns vigilantism. Uh, so yeah. Um, so essentially, what happened was he received an offer from a dating website called toddandclaire.com and they essentially said in the email, hey, we want you to do a, it's like a texting, it's a mixture of dating and texting uh, website, and we want you to... Dexting. (laughs) Dexting, right. So we want you to just do a commercial where you're in the embassy, and it's going to be like tongue-in-cheek, and it's going to say, oh, you know, it's hard to find a date when you're trapped in the embassy for four years. 
And and so we're going to pay you a million dollars to do this. Million bucks. Once we receive mm-hmm. the tapes. And here's the thing. The money will come from Russia into your bank account that you give us and we'll give it to you. We'll wire it to you. And so Julian never saw that email was sent to his team and his team went and did the investigation and stuff and found out that the company doesn't exist. They were advertising that the dating website is responsible for 3000 marriages, but there's only 600 users on the website and the website started in October of 2015. And then a lot of the, profile images on the website uh, could be found with like a Google image search. And so so the website's completely fake and the business and whatever is completely fake and they responded back to him and they, they responded back to the dating website and said, uh, Julian has not been made aware of this offer. No one's seen the website. It's clear it's, you're, you're trying to entrap us and ruin our reputation. And then they wrote back and they said, we know it's you, Julian. <laughs> like this real creepy message wow and uh so but apparently they found out that the million dollars because it was going to be coming from a russian bank account it was proof that the united states government can say see julian assange is working with russia right and the reason these leaks are coming out is because russia is against hillary clinton being president and so this is you know just an attack from russia and it makes sense a million bucks yeah, it seems a, like something you'd sell your soul for, right? Such a weird right? number for to a right. cameo on a commercial, right? Yeah, right. yeah, a million bucks. <laughs> yeah, people would buy that, right? And so, but anyway, they found this out, and then so some people on Reddit started investigating even more thoroughly last night, and they found out that this the the address that was listed on the website when it first launched, they used the Wayback Machine, went back in time, saw the website looked like when it first launched, the address was registered to a premise data company, which is like some company that it gathers data through like drones and cell phones. So it's like a, it's it's almost like a CIA Hmm. sort of website. And then, so the CEO of that company is on Twitter, has his picture taken with Hillary Clinton talking about how he's met with Clinton and and, uh, Tim Kaine. Mm-hmm. So... It gets it gets deep. I mean, that's a that's it sounds like a movie. It, it does. <laughs> it really does. I'm glad we're not live right now. Yeah, <laughs> shut down off. the satellite, right? <laughs> like CNN. No, uh-huh. it's weird. Like what you think in the past, well, it's conspiracy theory kind of stuff. It's just really stuff, you know, happening pretty out there. Kind of dramatic moves being taken, uh, actually taking place behind the scenes, and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's in a sense, you know, uh, in an, uh, human humanly speaking, uh, a bit I mean, terrifying. Well, you had John Kerry, who was in London, who was discussing with the Ecuadorian embassy to cut off Julian Assange's internet. And it's like, why is the government working so hard to shut down a member of the press? Right. They have freedom of speech in this country. Right. And you're, 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 you're trying to shut down someone who's not even an American. Right. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's so much, so many revelations that are so damning. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. Um, stories just getting more and more interesting every single day. You know, but here's the thing, though. Like when I here's the thing. When you told me the story, and then I researched it myself, and I, I looked it up, and I started seeing all these things, and you filled in all those details. I mean, my mind was blown. But did, doesn't it seem a little bit like those spam emails that you get, like from someone oh, who, yeah. someone yeah. from Nigeria? Yeah. 
Right. That has like gold to move or money to move and just <laughs> right. give me your bank account and I'll send you the million legit. bucks. Right. It, it sounds like some kind of spam email that you would get or, you know, that I get every day. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds kind of like this. this. This is hilarious. Have you guys heard the guy on Mashable that um, responds to these spam emails? No. Have you heard of it? Oh, uh. it's hilarious. Okay. This is one where he responds to somebody that's, uh, well, I'll let you hear it. Here we go. I'm James Veach. I get a ton of scam emails, but instead of deleting them, I decided to hit reply. Today, I had a weird conversation with a guy called Solomon Adonka about some gold. Here's what happened. Hello, James Veach. I have an interesting business proposal I want to share with you, Solomon. I was like, Solomon, your email intrigues me. Go on, go on. He said, dear James Veach, we should be shipping gold to you. You will earn 10% of any gold you distribute. So I knew I was in safe hands. I said, how much is it worth? He said, we will start with a smaller quantity. I was like, ah. And then he said, of 25 kilograms, the worth should be about $2.5 million. I said, look, Solomon, if we're gonna do it, let's go big. I can handle it. How much gold do you have? He said, it's not a matter of how much gold I have. What matters is you're capable of handling. We could start with 50 kilograms as a trial shipment. I said, 50 kilograms? There's no point doing this at all unless we're shipping at least a metric ton. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a hedge fund executive bank manager. This isn't the first time I should bullion, my friend. No, no, no. I was like, now look, where are you based? I don't know about you, but I think if we're going via the postal service, it ought to be signed for. That's a lot of gold. He said, it will not be easy to convince my company to do a large quantity shipment. I said, Solomon, I am completely with you on this one. I am putting together a visual for you to take into the board meeting. Hold tight. I said, Solomon, attach this email. You'll find a helpful chart. I find one of my assistants Run the numbers. I'm no statistician, but I think there's definitely something. Some, there's, definitely, there's definitely something going on. I've discovered an undeniable correlation. We need to be shipping as much gold as possible. He said, I will be so much happy if the deal goes well, because I'm going to get a very good commission as well. And I said, that's amazing. What are you going to spend your cut on? And he said, on real estate. What about you? I said, one word, hummus. It's going places. I was at the grocery store the other day, and there are like 30 different varieties. Also, you can cut up carrots. I'm not going to rip them. Have you ever done that? Solomon! He said, I have to go to bed now. Till tomorrow, have sweet drinks. I said, bonsoir, my golden nugget. Bonsoir. I said, Solomon, I'm concerned about security. When we email each other, we need to use a code. And he agreed. And so I said, that's amazing. I said, Solomon, I spent all night coming up with this code. We need to use it in all further correspondence. Lawyer, gummy bear. Bank, cream egg. Legal, fizzy cola bottles, claim peanut M&M's, documents, jelly beans, Western Union, a giant gummy lizard. Please call me Kit Kat and all further correspondence. I didn't receive anyone back from him, so I was like, I've gone too far. I said, you know, Solomon, is the deal still on? Kit Kat. He did reply and he said, the business is on and I'm trying to raise the balance for the, 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 the. I said, dude, you have to use the code. What followed is the greatest email I've ever received. The business is on. And I'm trying to raise the balance for the gummy bear so he can submit all the needed fizzy cola bottle jelly beans to the cream egg for the peanut M&M's process to start. Send 1,500 pounds via a giant gummy lizard. Fantastic. Wow. Trolling a con artist. It's wonderful. So that guy makes a living trolling con artists? That's what he does. He has a channel where basically he just responds to these... What did I do wrong? Spam emails. <laughs> right, exactly. Amazing, funny, funny stuff. So you should go check that out because... 
There's about 10 of them, and they are amazing. Absolutely amazing. All right, so uh, again, today uh, we have an NPR segment planned for you guys. That's not public radio. Apologia Studios official not public radio with Steady Randy. And I'm going to do a little response to an atheist uh, who attempted to respond to my talk in Iowa, uh, Contra Atheism. And so what we're going to do right now is take a quick break, and we will be right back. More on Apologia Radio. Don't forget, you can get it at ApologiaRadio.com, and make sure you guys share it with somebody you know, somebody you love. Thank you to everybody who has all access. Uh, We're grateful for your partnership, all that you guys do to make this possible. And I want to let you guys know, you guys can, of course, check out a lot of the new academies that are right there on the All Access Apologia Academy. And you can, of course, sign up if you're not all access yet at ApologiaRadio.com. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Les. And I'm Tanner. And we're the hosts of the Reformed Pubcast. A weekly podcast where two friends get together and talk about the things that they love. It's like all those times you talked about theology over a pint of beer with your friends, but we're just dumb enough to record it. It's the theology of Calvin and the thirst of Luther. Join in on the conversation by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. It's the Reformed Pubcast. Ladies and gentlemen, beauties and beasts, I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing let not thy beard be thy downfall protect your manlyhood an epic combination of manliness and manhood if you're hearing this today there is hope for your beard go to youcosbeard.com and enter the code apologia and you can save some money while you save your face Welcome to Apologia NPR, not public radio news, recorded in the 42nd week of the year of our Lord, 2016. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I have love, do you? And it's good sometimes to list our love's faith, family, and friends, Loves are sometimes described as obsessive and made into philia, such as a bibliophile, a lover of books, or a hypnophile, a lover of sleep. Here in Arizona, I'm counted among a significant population of pluviophiles, lovers of rain. Just a smidgen of precipitation and people here will bring out their umbrellas and splash any puddle they can find. But driven by this modern pagan culture springing up around us, I am much more likely to be characterized as phobic than philic. For whatever brokenness in people I don't enthusiastically affirm as natural, normal, and good must represent an evil fear in me, a fear born of ignorance, or perhaps even hateful intolerance. And as the fracturing of identities away from normalcy, or must I say, away from my gender binary prejudices continues, (laughs) My sins against the new secular gods also become many. 
Listing my crimes as simply homophobic and transphobic is not enough, for in the LGBT QWERTY world, the drive to be as unique as snowflakes creates a plethora of micro-gender categories to be an offender against, such as agender, androgyne, androgynous, bigender, cisgender, cis-female, cis-male, cis-men, cis-women, cisgender females, cisgender males, cisgender men, cisgender women, females to males, FTM, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, gender questioning, gender variant, gender queer, intersex, males to females, MTF, neither, neutral, non-binary, other, pangender, trans, trans star, trans females, trans star females, trans males, trans star males, trans men, trans star men, trans people, trans star people, Trans women, trans star women, trans feminine, transgender, transgendered females, transgender males, transgender men, transgender people, transgender women, trans masculine, transsexual, transsexual females, transsexual males, transsexual men, transsexual people, transsexual women, people of spirit, woman, woman star, two spirit, three spirit, and four spirit. If that was tedious to listen to, oh, imagine. I'm sorry, you're done. Oh. <laughs> yes. Okay. You can come back now. All right. Thanks. If that was tedious to listen to, imagine having to wade through that and more on passports, employment applications, government forms, and bathroom doors. Mm. With all these phobias I'm told I carry, I have a self-identified li- a label to be shamed with, and ask that you simply call me polyphobic. For my fears, as enumerated by the fearful, are legion, and yet. <laughs> And yet, for all my alleged fears, eh, I sleep pretty well at night. In traditional English usage, I, you, he, she, it, we, they, me, him, her, us, and them make up the personal pronoun set that provides contrasts of person, gender, number, and case in speaking and writing. Top administrators at the University of Michigan announced in a campus-wide email the creation of a new process that allows students to designate their preferred gender personal pronouns with the university for inclusion in official class rosters. The email explained, the University of Michigan is committed to fostering an environment of inclusiveness. Consistent with this value, the university has created a process through the new gender identity tab within the campus personal information section. Designated pronouns will automatically populate on all class rosters. Students were further told, asking about and correctly using someone's designated pronoun is one of the most basic ways to show your respect for their identity and to cultivate an environment that respects all gender identities. If you make a mistake and use the wrong pronoun, you can acknowledge that you made a mistake and use the correct pronoun next time. This new process enables students to further refine any new gender identity they feel comfortable with. Thereupon, Grant Strobel, chairman of Young Americans for Freedom at the University of Michigan, went to his access portal and changed his personal pronoun to His Majesty. One statistics professor threatened to punish anybody in her class who used the school's new pronoun designation tool to change their pronoun to something like His Majesty, which is disrespectful to students who are different than us. 
Now who can deny that the penchant for self-identification is run amok and the rules surrounding such ideas are painfully arbitrary. And yet there was an open letter published in the Michigan Daily to chastise such independent behavior. It was prefaced with a trigger warning. (laughs) (laughs) The following op-ed contains references to transphobia, suicide, and sexual assault. And it began, an open letter to Grant Strobel and all other University of Michigan students who changed their pronouns to His Majesty, Her Lordship, Apache Attack Helicopter, (laughs) or a similarly ridiculous title. I want that one. (laughs) Apache Attack Helicopter Pearson. The letter then went on to primarily use shame to force conformity. It read, shame on you. Shame on you for implying that people's identities are less legitimate because the pronouns that come with them aren't real English words. Shame on you for perpetuating that trans and gender nonconforming individuals are merely special snowflakes whose gender identities are made up as coping mechanisms or means of seeking attention. You made yourself the center of attention, don't you see it? You are the special snowflake. Now, apologists, pay attention to this argumentation to what is exactly so terrible. You want everybody to accommodate your beliefs, Mm -hmm. to adjust their language, to match your idea of how English ought to be spoken, and to identify people the way you want them to, not the way they want to be identified. And now, the warning if they decide to keep their self-identified personal pronouns in the system, your professors and instructors will have a great idea of your character before you so much as open your mouth in class. Mm. Do you see the crass assumptions made that His Majesty Grant doesn't struggle with depression or identity issues or that he simply wants attention? Attention has hereby been granted to His Majesty Grant. The College Fix website reported that freshman James Goodman began his first moments of higher education by being lectured by campus leaders about toxic masculinity. The students who identify as male were shown a docudrama film titled The Mask You Live In as part of the lessons warning students that the notion of masculinity comes with harmful side effects. According to the trailer of the film, the three most destructive words a boy can hear growing up is, be a man. Hmm. One scholar commented, they really buy into a culture that doesn't value what we feminize. In 1835, Alexei de Tocqueville published Democracy in America, where he wrote of the new world from the perspective of a detached social scientist. He said, there is in fact a manly and legitimate passion for equality that spurs all men to wish to be strong and esteemed. This passion tends to elevate the lesser to the rank of the greater. But one also finds in the human heart a depraved taste for equality which impels the weak to want to bring the strong down to their level and which reduces men to preferring equality in servitude to inequality in freedom. And what does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians 16.13 Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Mail Online reports that Claire Fox, head of a think tank called the Institute of Ideas, claims British and American universities are dominated by cabals of young women who believe it's their right to be protected from anything they might find unpalatable. She calls this group of youngsters Generation Snowflake. The academic was giving a speech to a group of mostly young women where she dared suggests 
as eminent feminists have done before her, that rape wasn't necessarily the worst thing a woman could experience. She was completely stunned by what happened next. I expected a robust discussion, not for them all to dissolve into outraged gasps of, you can't say that. Some of the girls were sobbing and hugging each other while others shrieked. Their reaction shocked me. I take no pleasure in making teenagers cry, but it also brought home the contrast to previous generations of young people who would have relished the chance to argue back. It illustrated this generation's almost belligerent sense of entitlement. They assume their emotional suffering takes precedence, express a view they disagree with, and you must immediately recant and apologize. Books containing troublesome material are now slapped with trigger warnings while universities and student union unions are declared safe spaces where young people should not have to encounter anything they disagree with. Such hypersensitivity has prompted the University of East Anglia to outlaw sombreros in a Mexican restaurant and caused the National Union of Students to ban clapping as it might trigger trauma, asking students to use jazz hands instead. <laughs> <laughs> Jazz hands. Ah, what are jazz hands? Oh. Jazz hands, you raise your arm, your arm, your hands about to shoulder level, and splay your fingers out, and then you <laughs> wiggle your hands back and forth. <laughs> kind of like what a murderous psychotic clown might do. Yeah, or, or pre preschool or something. Yeah, right. There is a strand of oh self-absorption and fragility running through this generation, all too ready to cry victim at the first hint of situation they don't like, Fox concluded. We need a younger generation that's prepared to grow a backbone, go out into the world, take risks, and make difficult decisions. Otherwise, the future doesn't bode well for any of us. Claire Fox has penned a book about Generation Snowflake, which is called I Find That Offensive. C.S. Lewis wrote, Perfect love, we know, casteth out fear, but so do several other things. Ignorance, alcohol, passion, presumption, stupidity. It is very desirable that we should all advance to that perfection of love in which we shall fear no longer, but it is very undesirable, until we have reached that stage, that we should allow any inferior agent to cast out our fear. Ah, believer, do you cast your fears away and find your rest in the hands of the everlasting sovereign God? Chuck Colson once explained, we cannot be said to be seeking the kingdom of God if we do not truly expect to realize progress in the kingdom's advance in and through our lives. The character of the kingdom of God is to increase, expand, grow, advance, overcome, overwhelm, and supplant all other false fiefdoms of men, whether personal or political. It spreads out like light, pervades the salt, and enlivens like leaven as it brings the fullness of Jesus Christ himself into every place. I can be truly unique, protected, and loved in Him only. My safe space is in His dominion in my life and over the world, and I'm able to carry it with me wherever I go. This was Apology at NPR, not public radio, Steady Randy, offering polyphilic verbal bouquets to you without trigger warnings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That Nicely was done, Randy. Delicious. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Steady Randy. Hey, let's let's tag on to the end of this discussion by talking to Leah about what it's like to live in Canada. Is it? Would you say that you guys have been a little um, 
ahead of us in terms of this kind of discussion taking place with um, trigger warnings and safe spaces and um, just uh, getting in trouble for speaking out against these issues or are we about the same what do you think oh yeah i think we're decades ahead of you guys really wow yeah my dad used to be a principal of a private christian school and he can tell me stories about just the things they had to go through as a private christian school and you know just just the city and and you know british columbia and canada in general just the things that have progressed over the decades i mean now it's just ridiculous yeah. But, oh yeah, this we've been, like, we're watching the U.S. going, oh, that already happened here, like, a long time ago, you know, the bathroom issues and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, yeah, so yeah, I, I thought, figured, maybe you guys were ahead of us. What's it, what's it, I mean, obviously, there's uh, there's socialism, that's a major issue in Canada, it's just obviously disrupting the economy, and you have these issues, the LGBT issues, and um, those sorts of things. Is it is it harder and harder as a Christian in Canada uh, to to be a solid prophetic voice, um, are you? Is there a concern for your own economic stability? Is there a concern for? Um, I mean, is it is it possible to get thrown in jail in Canada right now, or uh, for for speaking out against these issues? I mean, just I guess, what's it really like being there? Yeah, there's definitely a whole bunch of different topics because it's it's interesting because on certain things like when it comes to freedoms, like. In Canada, we actually have some pretty great homeschooling laws. So in BC, it's actually one of the freest places for homeschooling. Okay. But in Langley, just like not far from where I live, uh, we have uh, a university, a Christian university there. And there was recently a whole bunch of stuff that just came up about that, that, you know, the university had policies about gender and uh, homosexuality and things like that. And that the issue revolved around would Canada recognize people, grads coming out of that, like lawyers? Could they be recognized as real lawyers if they graduated from that university? Oh, and, wow. and it yeah. went to the Supreme Court of Canada and all of that. And I haven't heard just recently, uh, I haven't wow. followed on it, but it got very serious. And I believe like it was really being attacked. Like people do not want Christians in law. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And wow. for good reason. Yes. Because we would do things there. Yeah. (laughs) No, no joke. Uh, Yeah, that's um, it's just interesting because I was I was actually talking to Sage uh, just yesterday about how uh, things have changed so rapidly in the United States uh, in this last generation. Um, You can look up public service announcements and commercials from the 50s on homosexuality. And um, you have, uh, you know, great examples of where we were in the 50s and 60s even before the sexual revolution Mm -hmm. um, on some of these issues and then of course you can look at uh, and highly recommend uh, A Queer Thing Happened to America by Dr. Michael Brown he I mean the footnotes on that book alone are just amazing immense full Um, and they're old now yeah and yeah exactly there's it just needs it needs to be updated Um, but he goes in through the footnotes you can see the original resources and documentation to show that people who were part of the LGBT um, movement early on I mean you're talking going way back into the 70s they were specifically stating that their goal was long term they were invested and they wanted to take over the academic institutions they wanted to take over media and they wanted to slowly sort of chip away at our culture to bring us to a place where they were seen as the good guys 
Christians were seen as the bad guys, where they essentially created uh, confusion and that confusion would be accepted. And so here we are now. I mean, I mean, think about it for a moment now. I mean, we're, it's 2016, the year 2000. We weren't talking the way that we are about right. these issues. And that's that's just 16 years. I mean, I remember being in high school. I was I was right outside of D.C., just about 15 minutes away. Um, and I remember that in high school, we had people who were obviously uh, homosexual, uh, but they would never have come out and said it. And we were yeah. in a pretty liberal part of the country. And so, I mean, that's uber liberal, uh, right. Washington, D.C. And even in my own experience, in 1996, when I graduated, that was just the way things were. You didn't talk about it out loud. Mm. So that's 1996. Here we are. I mean, it's just shifted so, so dramatically. So I know Canada has been dealing with that for a long time. And it's really amazing. As you look at some of these videos of the conversations that take place on college campuses, and it's amazing that they they won't even allow you to have a conversation to talk about the issues because it's all emotion it's all safe space it's all trigger warning it's all you can't offend me you're not allowed to have a position that's different than mine and you know Dr. White used to say many years ago they don't want equal rights they want uber rights yep, and exactly. um, I don't know that I took him seriously when he said it uh, but 2016 I believe it now it's uber rights mm-hmm. and it's uh, us essentially being criticized and condemned because we won't go along with it. It's the imposition of morality that takes place of logical necessity. No matter what culture or society you're in, somebody's going to impose their morality, and they've been imposing theirs. And um, at this point, I'd say college campuses, at least in academia, they're winning that fight. And, um, you know, we, we talk about the recent thing, the big controversy over Target in the bathrooms, mm-hmm. they lost a lot of money over that. I mean, they lost a tremendous amount of money over that issue. Um, but I mean, think about just even that particular issue. They're going to lose millions upon millions upon millions of dollars over an issue. It's such a large commitment over an issue that affects such a small percentage of Americans. Mm-hmm. What was it? We looked it up before. I forget the number. It was under, under 1%. Yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah, it was it yeah. was under one percent of the population. So here's a company that's so gutsy, so bold. They so want to influence the culture, and they so want the culture to buy that, from their perspective, we need to get in on this issue, and that'll make more people buy from us. Well, it turned around and actually ended up hurting them. That's because there really is such a small segment of the population that actually goes this direction. That's actually this sexually confused. Now, obviously, when I say that, I have, of course, love in my heart for people who are there, and I want them to know Jesus, so I'm not condemning them, and I don't want to dehumanize them, but it is sexual confusion. That's what Romans 1 says. It is against nature. So here's, again, a company who's going this route, because why? Because this media is so dominated by and so controlled by, and academia is so dominated by and controlled by this segment of the population and mindset that from their perception, we have to engage in this if we want the population to buy from us. But it turns around and actually ends up hurting them because they discover that there's this silent majority that actually doesn't go that direction. They don't believe those things. So I guess the main concern I have, obviously, is for this generation, I think it's sad. I think it's sad to see people behave in the kind of ignorant ways um, that we just heard about. And um, yeah... As a Christian, it's alarming, um, and it's obviously, we can say all day long, it's God's judgment judgment, and everything else, but um, I think the answer is going to be Christians that are willing to actually be bold enough to say something and mm-hmm. to start engaging in these conversations, um, and I think that's probably our greatest downfall. My own 
personal view is one of our greatest downfalls in this culture is Christians not willing to take a hit and we be willing to be seen for a mm-hmm. moment as the bad guy, even though right. you're not. Uh, truth is is uh, is exclusive and it's cutting at times and it hurts people's feelings. And sometimes you just need to go that route. You need to let someone's feelings get hurt. You need to give lots of triggers, whether they like yeah, it or not. Exactly. You need to get into their safe space, whether they like it or not, They're out of love for them uh, because they need they need the Lord. They need to know Him, and uh, they need to see really the beauty of our distinctions. Um, it's it's so beautiful. Uh, I think women are amazing, and I think they're unique and powerful and gifted. And I think being a woman is so spectacular and precious and amazing. And I think men, same way, have such beautiful traits and characteristics and callings. And I think that this discussion has essentially robbed the world of that beauty and that really special uh, nature. Well, and it's important to mention that in while that discussion is happening, um, so those, so the, the world is having that discussion, the right. things that you just said, that, you know, women and men both have these like beautiful traits or whatever and so sometimes like gender is very exclusive like no i am attracted to this one gender because of this this and this i am attracted i i identify as this one gender because of this this, and this but along with that conversation comes this idea that gender is nothing right it's fluid and so it either is something or it is nothing so you just can't have it both ways that's right. not that's not there's no consistency in that yeah that's right yeah well i was reading um we mentioned last week joy on the on the episode uh i was reading the uh, political sermons from the founding era of the united states and it was like sermons from like oh gosh what was the time period i think it was from like I think it was from like 1700 yeah. to like 1810 or something like that. And they're just like sermons that are preached before the governors and the legislature. And then there's other ones as well. But a, one particular thing um, you didn't get to hear was this one pastor is preaching a sermon to the governor. And it's this powerful sermon. We were talking about how like, you know, it's an hour long sermon before the legislature on the word indeed. Mm-hmm. You know, just so exegetical, so powerful, so so convicting as you read it, and it's spoken directly to like the civil government. Um, but one of the things that he said as this pastor is preaching before the governor and the legislature, he was allowed to do that. And he was allowed to give an hour-long exegetical sermon that actually confronted the governing authorities, mm-hmm. saying, this is what God commands you. He tells you to be just. And here's what it means biblically to be just. So your role is to be just because God commands you to be just and to rule in the fear of God. He says, this was this is what it means to rule in the fear of God. Here's what the Bible says about ruling in the fear of God. And that's your responsibility, right? And he's allowed to do this. And they're listening. Yeah. Right? They want him there. But he has this one little line. And he says this. He says, now, like, we all know that religion is not doing so well in our day. <laughs> <laughs> it was so interesting wow. to me. Just to... Because they, they know the scriptures and God's holiness and God's standards. So from their perspective, whatever shortcomings they saw in their day, they thought, we're not doing so well. We, we have some work to do. Wow. But if you think, like, you just go right ahead to where we're at today, and there's so much confusion, and there's so much, like, illogical thinking that you're describing. It, it doesn't make sense at bottom anyways. Like, if they didn't think they were doing well then, my gosh. I mean, we are so far oh, off man. the rails. And... um 
you know, Dr. White last week did a, a really, really, really amazing episode um, on the dividing line, and he gave his official position on the Trump candidacy, right. and it was it was really good. Um, and he he mentioned this is theological, how we respond to this, and it's eschatological. A lot of people, how you view the Trump situation and what's happening now has to do with your eschatology. He's right on that. Um, he thinks, obviously, we're under judgment, and there's great difficulty and everything else. Um, uh, so the one thing I would add to that discussion is that it's it's Dr. White's teaching of me about the sovereignty of God that leads me to a different conclusion than him ultimately in terms of where we're going. Mm. Um, it's because of what he's taught me about God's sovereignty that I have such high hope for the future. <laughs> but at the same time, there's so much I, I acknowledge about what he said that's just so true. He said that this generation is completely lost. Like yeah, it's worse sure. than we, it's worse than we say. Right. They they can't think. They can only emote. Right. Um, and they they can't put these kind of discussions together. Like what you're referring to. Like you're not even making sense. You're saying right. that the distinctions aren't there. Well, and it's because the they're not willing to have the conversation with anyone who disagrees with them. So they're these inconsistent thoughts are running rampant because the minute someone says, "Well, wait a minute, let's think about this," like they're not saying. You're wrong. You're evil. They're just saying, wait a minute. Let's think about this. Right. But we don't want to have that conversation. Mm. When um, when we had the truth on the TV show, I talked duh, about how I think truth. that. Um, yeah, she said it. She got it. Right. <laughs> I know. I'm just making sure you. Yeah, I know. Okay. How I think that like God has redeemed a past generation by causing like our generation or millennials. I guess I fall into that. Yeah. That generation. <laughs> um, we have this like desire for authenticity and and genuineness and truth air quotes right so i think that redemption is happening i think we're getting closer it's just unfortunately right now we're in this weird like we've just discovered what we want is truth Mm -hmm. and now we need to actually figure out what truth is right right and how to talk about it yeah he go ahead you want to say something? i was gonna say that you said that this generation is only able to emote i think a more accurate uh, portrayal would be to say that they're only able to emoticon. Yeah. <laughs> right. GIF. Yeah, or GIF. Right. Um, <laughs> what's wrong with yeah, GIF? Yeah, we, yeah, we have fun with those GIFs in private well, and, so, and I think, so I, I like the idea of being positive about it and saying there was a time not too long ago where nobody was able to emote and it was about, um, you know, just bring home the bacon, everyone act the same, Everyone do the same thing. Nobody appear weird. Everyone work hard so that you can have a microwave and the house and the everything, you know, and nobody talk about your family secrets or anything like that. So I think that we've come like, like I said, I think redemption is happening. Yeah, I get what so you're I saying. So I think it's good that we're able to emote. It's just that we're like in the infancy of something really great. Yeah. And when, you know, when, uh, you know, this world is, you know, when, 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 when the world is taken back, I think that's like, I think it just shows that that's what we're headed towards. Like, Interesting. obviously yeah. it's not, it's not a good thing to just be like, oh, well, we're headed somewhere good and God is sovereign. So we'll just wait. Yeah. You know, that's right. It's okay to still push to say, we need to have, be able to have a conversation about this. I'm going to tell you what I think, even if you, you know, in my own medium, if you won't let me do it face to face, if you won't let me do it on your medium, I'll create a radio show. I'll create a podcast right, that lets do it me on my own. 
talk about it. Yeah. So the, all that's very good, you know but I do think that, that lately? Huh? Know anybody that's done that lately? <laughs> Sheologians. Get it. But so I just I don't know. I I still see with this topic in particular, and maybe it's because I'm a millennial, even though I don't feel like I'm one. Right. But technically I am. Right. Um I think that I think that there's, you know, still good good things happening. Yeah, and I, I you bring up a good point. That's actually an excellent point. Uh people say they love Trump because of his authenticity. Right. They they love that he'll he'll say what's on his mind and sometimes that actually ends up hurting him because he speaks before thinking. Uh but authentic authenticity right is 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 a big thing. We're just in our infancy right. in terms of like loving authenticity. Right. Like you, we don't we're not we're just not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, and so Dr. White said in that broadcast, and by the way, you, you really should see it, Dividing Line, uh, it was last week, I don't know the name of it, uh, it was his, his thoughts on the election situation. Um, he said that, you know, people say, well, we need to elect Trump because we got to preserve at least the last bit of liberty we have and some semblance, <laughs> some semblance <laughs> of a constitutional republic and back to the Constitution again. Well, his take on it was, we've already lost all that. When we have... Right. Supreme Court justices that determine the direction of the country, these unelected officials that create laws, which isn't how our nation is supposed to operate. He says, we've already lost it. We're gone. And when you have millennials that can't think, they can only emote. Um, So Dr. White was obviously saying his position is theological and it was uh, eschatological, you know, what your view of the future is. Again, my position is um, that if you believe in the sovereignty of God and what the scriptures say about the future, you can have hope that this yeah. will turn around because of the gospel. But I get his, I take his point. Right. Yeah, it's, it's um, we're in a much worse position than many of us think. And I don't believe any Trump candidacy is right. going to solve the problem. Like when I, speaking to that, when I say that we're in our infancy, I don't mean like, oh, we're just little simple, like we don't quite understand it yet. I mean like mess, like it's like not a good out, growing up, childish. Like, don't understand anything. Like childish. Need serious direction and Lots instruction. Of poop throwing. Yes. Right. <laughs> By the way, the name of the broadcast. I'm is, sure which Leon knows. Oh yes. <laughs> name of the broadcast is "My Thoughts on the State of Our Culture in the 2016 Election." Uh, uh, go to Alpha and Omega Ministries to Steady check it Randy out. Steady Randy for you. Steady Randy's got it. All right, guys. So quick break, commercial break. We're gonna uh, take uh, just a moment here to uh, to rest and uh, do whatever, and then uh, we'll be back and uh, we're gonna review some of the stuff from the eighth. Also, Luke has a little game for us, but we'll be right back on ApologiaRadio.com. Don't forget to go to MissionAware.com and you can get a delicious BB. Benjamin Buttons Warfield. Yeah, you can get a delicious BB Warfield t-shirt like Pastor Luke is wearing right now. Uh, MissionAware.com is where you go. Back with Leah, Joy the Girl, Steady Randy, Luke the Bear, myself, and Marcus King Ginger. Be right back. For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world. Not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college, to equip students with the tools to build and fight. And this is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, check us out online at nsa.edu forward slash explore. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. 
I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Beware, I'm bound. I'm far to travel, far across the distant sea. My destiny will lead me where I'm bound. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's a great verse. You know it. (laughs) Fantastic. They fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Just in case anybody thinks that that verse is supposed to be future. What's the passage of that? To us. That's Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15. The key word there is begun. Begun to run. That's reign. That's first century, y'all. Uh, the kingdoms, so I'll say it again. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. So we already missed the trumpet? Yeah. What, what, they, what, they, say, what they say it has become when it has begun? No, no, like, no. no. They, so, so, the, so it works. Uh, here's, here's the proclamation of, of, the, of the, the loud voices in heaven. The kingdom of the Lord, of, of the world, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And I think we can all recognize that Jesus is ascended and seated, mm-hmm. and he is reigning. Can, we, and it, can Christians deny that point? No. We all say he's king of kings and Lord of Lords now, and he's reigning now on that throne. Whatever you think about the kingdom, if you're a dualist and you think it's somewhere out there, some spiritual, you know, only out there, and there's this whole separate other realm over here that doesn't really impact in the same way, um, I think we can all agree on that basic fact, that truth from Scripture, that Jesus is on his throne, seated at the right hand, reigning now as king of kings right and if you say that yes when you can look at that in the context and say okay he's reigning now and the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and christ Mm. so powerful stuff and so we 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 had a plan to do a little game i think we're going to do something a little more um a little different just came across my feed so we started talking about it we thought we'd do it on the show because it's relevant stuff um we have a lot of issues to tackle uh, as the church, as Christians. So many areas we need to get involved in and get our hands dirty and bring the gospel into. And the 
word of God into. Um, and so uh, we, I don't want to become obsessed with this election and what's going on here. And the truth be told, if we actually were functioning as a nation, um, as we started, we would see that the president of the United States of America um, shouldn't be the focal point anyway. Uh, we were originally started as a republic. Uh, we had a system of government that was um, given checks and balances. Uh, we started as a Christian nation with a Christian form of government with a lot of checks and balances, recognizing that men are not angels, people are sinners, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so checks and balances were put there because of the biblical worldview, recognize the sinfulness of people's hearts. But we also, we didn't have a country where the president of the United States of America had the sort of power that they have now. So when we think about the election process as it stands right now, when we think about electing our next Messiah, it just displays just how broken we really are because uh, we're not supposed to operate in that fashion. But um, these issues are important and they do relate to the work of the church in the world in terms of uh, justice in the world and love for neighbor issues. I mean, these things matter greatly to the church and that we were um, getting ready to start the next part of this uh, part of this episode, and something came across uh, my feed. So we're going to go ahead and, and uh, talk about it for a moment here because it's important stuff, uh, and it, it relates to uh, something Dr. John MacArthur said, uh, his perspective on this current election, and uh, this is actually uh, from a little clip from Wretched Todd Friel. And I just want you to pay close attention, no matter what uh, side of this you're on, in terms of the kingdom of Christ and the victory of Jesus in the world. <laughs> You know, just for a moment, think critically about what's being said. Think about what Dr. MacArthur says and think about how um, uh, Brother Todd Friel has to essentially back up the comments and try to really, really emphasize um, how this is not entirely uh, unbiblical. Uh, We love Dr. MacArthur. I believe that Dr. MacArthur is actually responsible for giving me the gospel uh, fully. And uh, it was the book that he wrote, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, uh, that I read after my addiction that actually uh, caused me to rethink uh, whether I was really a believer, to really consider the gospel in its pure form, its true form, and to come to Christ. So I uh, love the brother. Uh, I think that he's he's wrong, and uh, his being wrong has consequences because he has many, many people who listen to him and follow him and learn from him. And in this particular area, I just believe that he is wrong. He's gotten it wrong. As much as I love him, as much as I respect him and appreciate him, and see him as a tremendous gift to the church. I believe that he is wrong here. And as I said, it has dramatic consequences being wrong in this area. So here we go. Subject of politics, it's one that we are interested here at Wretched, but it's not something that we are consumed by. And we are now going to listen to Dr. John MacArthur talk about the upcoming election This is not because we like talking like Rush Limbaugh. Instead, as Christians, we live in the world, but we are members of a different kingdom. How do we put it together when we are asked to vote? Now, I I spoke to Dr. MacArthur before he jumped into this subject, and far be it from me to ever have to clean up after Dr. MacArthur, but perhaps let me eliminate a potential spill that you might think he is saying something a little bit messy. Dr. MacArthur is going to talk about his attitude toward politics. And he's going to say something, because he told me in the green room, very shocking. Please note, at no point in his presentation here in the studio of Wretched, 
did he ever say that politics is irrelevant? At no time did he ever try to downplay the issues related to politics, like the life issue, like the marriage issue, like the religious liberty issue. Those things have some importance, but when... Now, let's just pause there for a moment. Yes, that's exactly right. When you talk about political issues, you're talking about moral issues. That's the substance of political issues. They're moral issues. They're full-on ultimate commitment issues. They are authority issues. So when we say this is politics, this is religion, you have to understand, we have to understand and really grapple with the fact that political discussions are ultimately, in the end, religious discussions. And political discussions have everything to do with ultimate authority and they have everything to do with morality. Now, notice that Todd has to work very, 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 very hard here to try to ultimately walk back some of Dr. MacArthur's comments because they're inconsistent. And I mean that with the greatest, highest level of respect for both these brothers, they are just tremendously inconsistent. Because what does Todd immediately have to go to? He has to talk about, well, because, you know, the life issue, that matters. The marriage issue, that matters. Religious freedoms issue, that matters. Why? Because you have to have those things, because they're moral issues, because they're very, very important. You know, to say the politics ultimately... Um, have nothing to do with the kingdom of God is to say that morality yeah. has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Because think about it for a moment. Is abortion a moral issue? Everyone has to say yay and amen. Of course, yes, abortion is a moral issue. Well, is that a political issue or a church issue? What do we say? Well, it's both. both. That's both because it's a moral issue. How about the gay marriage issue? Is... um. Is that a religious issue or a political issue? Well, that's both because it's a moral issue. And so, as you see, you can't chop it up and divide it because these are issues of ultimately morality, righteousness, and justice in a society. So when someone says, has, you know, politics has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Now, if you mean politics has nothing to do with um, defeating the advance of the kingdom of God, then I'm 100% behind you. There's no ruler in the world that's going to be able to take down Jesus and his kingdom. Nobody's going to be able to stop Jesus and his victory in the world. That's through the gospel, and Jesus wins. He's on his throne, and he's the king of kings. He's the king over every king in the world today. He's the Lord over every Lord in the world today. So if you mean that, I'm fully on board. But that's not what's ultimately being said here. What's being said here, and this is why Todd has to ultimately back up these comments, is that politics have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It's an inconsistent position. And I believe, with again, respect to my brother, Dr. John MacArthur, that the reason Dr. MacArthur has to think this way and move this way as a minister is because of his eschatology. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately it. There's an issue of dualism going on here. And there's an issue of, really, I think, unbiblical eschatology in the view of the future. That's why you have to go this direction, because it has to conform with your dualism and your eschatological perspective on the world. That's why. Okay, here we go. It comes to the kingdom of God. Brace yourself for this one. Dr. MacArthur says they have nothing to do with one another. What happens in America politically has absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing to do. So if we murder 60 million babies, 
because Supreme Court justices decide to go against the law of our land and uh, essentially legislate from the bench and create laws, which isn't their right to do, that actually ends in the suffering and the slaughter of 60 million image bearers of God. How are you going to tell me that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God? How? Because if it's really a gospel issue, if that's what we're talking about, is abortion a gospel issue? Is the murder of image bearers of God a gospel issue? Well, yes, people murder babies because they have wicked hearts. Mm -hmm. They slaughter the innocent because they are much more concerned with their own personal comfort and happiness than the child that God has given to them. So they slaughter that baby, they tear it limb from limb, and they do that because they're sinners. And what's the only way you can solve that? The gospel. But at the same time, I'm 100% for a law in our nation that says you can no longer kill babies. And I think that's a gospel issue because it has to do with the authority of Jesus Christ issue. When someone asks me, well, why can't we kill babies in our, in our nation? Why can't we do that? I'd say, well, because uh, that's murder mm. and God commands you not to murder. It's in the Ten Commandments. God commands you not to do it. God commands you not to take the life of a child. And that's why you shouldn't murder. And there are a hundred other reasons I can prove to you from biological science that this is actually a human being from the moment of conception. I can do all of that. But the ultimate reason that you don't murder a baby is because God says he commands against it. So, for example, uh, you can't get an ought what you ought to do from what is the case. So if somebody says, yeah, I agree, it's a baby, but I should still be able to kill it. That's what, by the way, pro-aborts say today. I know it's a baby. I see it's a baby. We should still have the ability to kill it. Even when you prove, Mm -hmm. you demonstrate this is a human being from conception, they still say, so what? I don't care what is the case. It's a human. I ought to be able to kill it. So you have to go to an ultimate foundation. You have to go to the authority of Jesus Christ. You have to say he's the king of the world. He, He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has the final word. That's why I'm telling you, you shall not murder. And that's a political issue. So can you, you can't say that. You can't say that these political issues have absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Again, if you mean that these political rulers aren't going to thwart Jesus Christ and his kingdom, I agree. But is that what's being said? Nothing. Whether America is Republican or Democrat, whether it is libertarian or socialist, whether it is, whether it becomes a, a communist country or, or, or whether it becomes a, a dictatorship. What happens in America has absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Let's try that. Let's test that claim, Brother MacArthur. Let's test that claim. What happens? Socialist, communist. Socialism is a wicked form of government and God condemns theft. Socialism right. is theft. Yep. And so when you say it doesn't matter if it's socialist, communist, Whatever the case is, it has nothing to, do kingdom, nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Let's test that claim. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's Jesus, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath And terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Watch what the Father says to Jesus. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Sounds like the Father is giving all the nations to Jesus, and giving, giving the world to Jesus as his inheritance. And watch the warning. The warning is this. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
obey the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. So in this case, the Father gives the nations and the world to Jesus as his inheritance, and the Father warns the kings and the rulers of the world to obey Jesus. Political issues are moral issues. Socialism is theft. Communism is theft. It's a wicked and immoral system. So if you say that that has nothing to do with the authority of Jesus Christ, I'd say you're at odds with Psalm chapter 2 at least. I'd say you're at odds with Psalm 110.1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I'd say that you are directly at odds with Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and where on earth has been given to me. I happen to believe that when the Bible says Jesus is the king of kings, that that means that he's the ruler of them, Mm -hmm. which means they have to obey his word, his law, and they have to submit to his authority. And so when you say political issues have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, I would say that your eschatology is off. Your view of the kingdom of Jesus is off. Because it says in the Bible that Jesus actually has authority over the kings of the earth and they have to obey him. And these issues are moral issues. And so when our nation goes into grave sin, like socialism, when it starts committing atrocities like murder, when it starts trying to call circles squares and square circles and actually promotes gay mirage from the top, when it does that, it's actually engaging in national sin and wickedness. And I think that that relates very directly to the authority of Jesus Christ, his kingship over the world, and I think it matters. And so, you guys want to add to that? Go ahead. Anybody? No, I think you should keep playing because he's going to contradict himself. Here we go. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Right. And, and that is quoted so often in this context when you try to show the kingship of Jesus Christ over the world today. People often quote that text, and I'm sorry, it is just simply not in the same context, not the same realm as this discussion. Jesus is not saying, my kingdom is not in this world. Mm-hmm. My kingdom is not of this world. Right. If it was, my servants would fight. If it was of the world's system... If it was like the world of the world, my servants would fight like your kingdoms do. Mm -hmm. My kingdom is not of this world. See, what happens here is when this gets quoted, it's often quoted in such a way as to essentially place Jesus' kingdom as outside of this world in terms of not actually in it functioning as a kingdom with his authority. That's not what Jesus means there. And if anyone thinks that, they just need to do a little bit of reading in the Bible. Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 110, 1, 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation chapter 11, the, cha- the verse that I just quoted, and on and on and on. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's, na- he's not saying his kingdom is not in the world or that he doesn't have authority in the world. Don't fight on that level. I got a lot of battles. None of them are political. Really? Abortion? I actually remember a fantastic message from Dr. MacArthur on abortion. I know what you're talking about. Fantastic mm-hmm. message. It's speaking very much directly and critically to the governing authorities of our day. Nothing? Wait, didn't he just say, though, he just said that if we get Hillary Clinton uh, and, and all, the, all the consequences of that on the church, that, that's political. Right. Our ability to preach the gospel freely in a nation. 
That's political. What happens when they start knocking on his door, telling him what he can and can't say publicly? That's not political. Right. And he'll have nothing to do with that? He'll have nothing to say in that realm? A lot of the battles he has to fight, and none of them are political. That's not even... That's not true. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's going to get more and more untrue as the days go on. The days ahead of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even even this even the conversation he's having right now is a political conversation. It very much is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But watch yeah, now, now, right. now Todd has to back it up. No, Dr. MacArthur did not say don't vote. No, he did not say never watch Fox News. No, he did not say don't get involved in politics. He said, Yeah, I kind of think he did. <laughs> <laughs> he said none of his battles are political by clear logical deduction that is where you would have to ultimately go what you'd have to embrace because what you have now is you have to talk out of both sides of your mouth as a Christian and that's inconsistent what Dr. What Dr. White always says is inconsistency is a sign of a failed argument and that's inconsistent it's inconsistent as Christians we can see it we can feel it we know it and I think that's why Brother Todd has to actually say what he says. You have something you want to say, Leah? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, in regards to his comment about having no political battle, if you really do believe that the world is a sinking Titanic, that, that does, that's the only consistency he has. Right. Is that, then that makes it true. There's no point in trying to do anything. Yes. And uh, highly encourage you guys to get um, He Shall Have Dominion by Kenneth Gentry. There's a section in there when he, Dr. Gentry explains all the different millennial positions in eschatology. He has some good quotes there from Dr. MacArthur regarding uh, culture and the world going to hell in a handbasket kind of thing. So you can see where Dr. MacArthur's perspective is coming from. None of those things. He was defining kingdoms. You and I are citizens of a different kingdom. We are soldiers in the army of God. His kingdom. We, however, have to live in an earthly kingdom. We need to make sure that we remember the distinction. So he- Yes, in a sense, that's true. Yes, right. Except Matthew 28, 18 through 20. <laughs> All authority in heaven, mm-hmm. that heavenly kingdom, and where? On, On earth. earth. So that the earthly realm, the earthly kingdoms are under the authority of Jesus Christ. He, he already has authority over them. And he is advancing his kingdom throughout history, saving right. nations, being faithful to his promise to Abraham as promised. He's doing that, but he's doing it very much in the real world. I mean, check out for a moment. Just look at ancient Jewish eschatology. And by way of that, I mean, look at the Old Testament scriptures. That kingdom that's promised in the Messiah, is it an otherworldly kingdom? Is that really how it's described? Or is it described very much as a kingdom that operates and advances within Earth's history in the real world with real nations in the world with people in Isaiah living and dying in that kingdom in the real world and it's advancing and it's victorious. Mm -hmm. So when someone says, you know, but we're of a different kingdom, I'd say, yeah, Paul says that he's delivered us out of the domain of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of his son. We all get that. Yeah, of course. But don't forget. Again, I'll quote it again. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Think of kingdom as reign. Mm. 
the, the reign right. of Christ. He rules and he reigns over it all. Not saying that you can't be involved in kingdom, earthly kingdom matters. But if you are getting consternated, concerned, confused, that was pretty good alliteration right there. Stop it. What? No, I agree. No, that I'll, I'll absolutely give 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 that. Uh, oftentimes we can catch ourselves get, becoming obsessed with and consumed by and we can even find ourselves trapped into really um, an ungodly fear. Um, uh, a, a fear that you, you're afraid of the future. You're afraid because you see what's around you and you, you, you neglect God's providence. You forget about his sovereignty and his, his control over all things. And so you start to get, you know, you start to get loose in your mind and start to fear. I agree. People can get obsessed and they can think that this is the only thing. I understand Christians can start listening to conservative talk radio and it can become just a, a, a consuming element of their life where they're not thinking about kingdom issues and gospel issues and future issues. I understand. What? Bug out bags. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he, you know, he mentioned earthly kingdom. I, I don't know for sure if this is what he holds to, but I'm guessing he would say that the earthly kingdom is under Satan's control. <sighs> we have to ask that question, yeah. Because a lot of people exactly yeah. are on that point, so I wonder. And that would be where you would see a major distinction right. from bad theology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, let's just take another second of this. Why? Because Jesus is building an eternal kingdom. It is specifically called the church and no earthly kingdom, no matter how good, no matter how bad, has anything to do with the kingdom work that Jesus is doing. Kind of has a lot to do with it because as the gospel advances and people's hearts are changed, that earthly kingdom gets obliterated. The, the domain of darkness the rulers of the earth get put under the feet of Jesus. And so it actually has kind of a lot to do with it. Like, for example, just for a moment now, imagine our nation goes into full-on national repentance. What a glorious thing. Yes. Full-on national repentance, and our government puts into the Constitution specific language related to Jesus Christ as having authority and rule over this nation, like some of the state constitutions did early on. We actually have a form of government that submits to Jesus, and our nation says we're, we're under the authority of Jesus Christ. We love Jesus, and we have all these proper biblical distinctions of the church having its particular function over here, civil government being under God, but having its particular function over here. Let me ask you a question. Um, would that have anything to do with the kingdom of Jesus? Anything to do at all? <laughs> if our nation submitted to Jesus Christ and was in full-on repentance, would it have anything to do with the kingdom of God? Well, then it would. Yeah. In that case, because we'd be winning. Right. Yeah, but what do you do with people who say, yeah, well, I mean, they would... We didn't really want to hear what you wanted to say, Marcus. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. What do do you do with people that that hear that and they go, well, yeah, but that's just talking about, like, if America falls, like, people are still going to be saved and God's still going to accomplish his perfect will. Right, and that's why why I I set up in in, in advance. If you mean that, if you mean that, then... I'm fully with you, but that's, of course, it, it, he's obviously going beyond that here. I mean, in pretty specifically, I'll, I'll go just one more second here on this. But there's no sense in talking about politics because, again, that has nothing to do with the gospel and the kingdom of God. If, if, uh, if, if we go down the train we're going, and if it continues that way, and we get Hillary Clinton as, as president and everything that... Um, is part of that whole platform that is against God, against the Scripture, um, everything that is not just criminal but immoral. Oh, wait. Uh-oh. Wait a second. That's just a political discussion he's having right now. Yeah, so that, that, those political issues, criminal, 
against God's law, those things, those don't relate to the authority of Jesus and his kingdom? Wait, what? Do you see how you have to talk out of both sides mm-hmm. of your mouth? On the one hand, politics, now nah, nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And then say, well, hey, if Hillary gets elected, we have unrighteousness, we have wicked decrees, we have um, injustices, we have all these things, you know, all the sin, all this violating God's law. That's what would, that was what, that's what would be commensurate with Hillary Clinton's presidency. But that's got nothing to do with the kingdom of Jesus. Yeah, talk out of dual sides of your mouth. Yeah, dual, very good. That's there. right. Yeah, see what it escalates and escalates and escalates. In no way does that hinder Christ building his church. No, agreed. 100%. Yes, amen to that. It's not going to thwart Jesus Christ. But all those issues are related to the work of the kingdom in the world. They are. It's just that we're going to have to approach it honestly. My concern is not what's happening in the country. My concern is what's happening in the church as it gets sucked into this stuff in the country and no longer will speak to those issues. Wait. What? 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 Well, that's that's the problem. That's why they're arguing for this, because they don't think that you can tell the culture what to do according to God's standards. Well, well, but he but he just said there he contradicted himself. He's he right. actually no said speak to the he's worried now. that the church won't speak to these issues anymore. But he just but he gave doesn't you a, want us to. But he gave you an entire discussion there about it's got nothing to do with the church. It's got nothing to do with the kingdom of Jesus. Now, I think, listen, I want to be as fair as possible to Dr. MacArthur. You might say, well, you're misunderstanding him. Well, here's the problem is it's not sufficiently clear because it's a convoluted position. That's what's wrong. It's a convoluted position. It's an inconsistent position. Mm-hmm. And it's, of course, muddy. And I want to say, he, here's the thing. Look, ultimately, he shouldn't be talking like this. I love him. I respect him. Um, I honor him. And um, uh, again, uh, God, he has done much more for the church than I ever have or ever will probably. And, um, and so praise God for the man. But you know, just because Dr. MacArthur has been used so mightily by God doesn't mean that he's beyond correction as Mm -hmm. a brother and a Christian. And so these issues I think should not be spoken about this way. And I think if Dr. MacArthur were going a different route, I think speaking about it in a better way, more consistent biblical way, we might actually see some really, really amazing fruit as a result of it in the life of the church. Uh, Nobody's arguing by the way for America. Nobody's arguing, by the way, that we should um, ignore the foundational truths of the gospel to talk about um, Rush Limbaugh-style politics as a church. No way. I'm talking about full-on, 100-proof Christianity. Full-on, 100-proof gospel proclamation, taking no prisoners, unconditional surrender kind of stuff. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm talking about doing it through the gospel. That's what I mean. Anything else you guys want to add before we do a quick discussion here uh, about the atheist responding? Anybody, anybody? Joy, how you doing over there? You probably worn out. You had Joy's had a radio show before this, and now she has this radio show, and nobody's eaten yet. I'm okay. You're good? Okay. So just a quick talk. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this. I just wanted to just bring it up just to show you, praise God, for his providence. So again, just to catch you guys up if you missed the first part. Um, I, we dropped a video of my discussion in Iowa. It was, um, how to completely refute atheism. And, uh, after we dropped that video, lots of positive feedback, a lot of believers really encouraged by it. Um, and somebody did a video in response to the video and it was how to completely refute a complete refutation of atheism. So this is our refutation of how to completely refute a complete refutation of atheism. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a triple refutation. That's right. That's right. And so what I want to do is just uh, say God is amazing. Praise God for his providence. And here's what I mean. 
this atheist didn't just take chunks and pieces of uh, the talk that I gave in Iowa. He actually played through the entire thing. And so the, the talk here is about two hours and eight minutes, his review. Um, but I think my message is somewhere around an hour and a half. So it wasn't a, a whole yeah. lot of content, but he, he went through the entire thing. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. But in all of that, you allowed many, many people to actually hear the message. And I think uh, hopefully what is an encouragement to many of you is a lot of atheists saw this video and they were like, right on, that's a great refutation. And so I was like, I'd love to hear this thing. And so I listened to it. And let me just say, respectfully, thoroughly unimpressed. When you don't provide actual responses, meaningful responses to the arguments that are made to you, um, I think it shows the futility of your position. Now, for atheists, this might be spectacular and amazing. I thought, from my perspective, it was um, more of a discussion you would see between some maybe sophomores in high school and sort of, uh, uh, like, or mockery, those sorts of things. Sounds about right. I, I'd like to see some more critical engagement and actual engagement of what I actually said. So just, again, not going to spend a lot of time, but I'd like you to hear this is the atheist refutation of my refutation of atheism. It's like a game of Inception. It is. On a certain topic. Let me, uh, let me uh, rewind. There you go. Okay. Welcome. So I got this video today on my Google Plus. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Derman. And it's by a guy named... <laughs> I believe Jeff Durnham, Durnham is his name. Uh, he's new to me. Jeff Durbin. Durnham. Yeah. So he's a presuppositionalist, and he does this presentation, and the name of his video is How to Completely Refute Atheism. So it clickbaited me, of course. I love clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was it. That was I mean, sometimes you put videos up and we'll name it something because there's no better way to describe it. And people are like, "Well, why'd you have to clickbait me?" I'm like, right. "Well, sometimes there's no I don't know how else to describe what I'm trying to do." Right. Very impressed with your organic marketing skills. Yeah, well, I appreciate Le- that. Leah's the queen of, of clickbait. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, honestly, sometimes what's said in the title is really what happened, and right. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, I don't know why that hurts people's feelings so much. Well, like, I think everyone clickbaits. Everyone that's like. Especially if you look at a lot of like YouTubers that really do nothing other than they just like they're they're Finger popular on YouTube. unwrapping. Yeah, yeah, because they just all they really do on their YouTube channel is like do makeup tutorial tutorials and like talk about themselves. Right. So they'll do like a Q and A where they have their you know their fan base like send them questions, and so they like the title of the YouTube video is just like you know. When I fought a dog that one time. Right. And it like, literally they talk about it for half a second. Right. And, but people hey. are going to click on that. Yeah, yeah, it works for me. If it was up to Joy, every video of hers would be called Cute Kitten or and, something. And I want to say. Um, <laughs> we say Kitten Marathon. Yes. Okay. So I don't even know. Should we talk about that? Okay. So anyway. I don't know. Cat Marathon came up yesterday in the studio. And I think what was meant was that, um, it would be like a cat watching cat video yeah. watching marathon. But what I imagined was cats running for charity and running for charity and the herd of cats. I would watch. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The little numbers on the back. Take a moment to imagine a bunch of kitties running for Blood charity. Bands, yeah. In like their bottles. workout gear and they're, 
It's the people, best thing ever. People handing them little cups it of milk. It needs to happen. Okay, we have to go again. This video. Okay. okay. And I watched the whole thing and took notes on it. And it's just abysmal. So I'm going to go through it bit by bit. Is that a problem? Apparently. Is abysmal a problem in an atheistic universe? Is abysmal a problem with no absolute standards? Is abysmal a problem for African apes? African apes shouldn't produce abysmal content. Bonobos. Is that irritating to uh, the descendant of bacteria? As opposed to getting into a comment war with the several hundred people on this video who think he just did an absolutely fantastic job and just go through step by step with him. Everything he says, I'll try to respond to if it, if it means anything. And I took notes on some long parts where he just kind of rambles on about nothing and those, I'll, I'll just skip through those. <laughs> so without further ado, let's, let's begin. The outdoors or something? Today is so. atheism and agnosticism and it's I mean, each really could get a time of their own, and I mentioned to you guys last night that we really need like two weeks. You need like two weeks of constant sessions to just keep working through the details here. I mean, really, I would love that. I would love like a week-long conference where we just got to spend so much time on each. I bet you would love a week-long conference. <laughs> I wonder how much just that one conference costs. Like, I wonder what you do for an actual job. I bet it's this. What do you drive? What's your house like? Is this all you do for a living? Because I'm sure if it is, then you want more week-long conferences. Well, that's the furthest I'll thing from the truth. I'll answer that. <laughs> um, uh, the church uh, charged $15 for a two-day conference. It was $15, trying to cover some of their costs. Um, they lost money just in the travel expenses. Alone, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so $15 was the cost of the conference. Uh, what do I drive? Um, I drive a van. Uh, Down that by the is, river. I drive a van, a white van, a white mom van from uh, 1999. Uh, it actually belongs to the church. Uh, so it's a 1999 mom van, belongs to the church. Uh, air conditioning has been broken for two years on it. So I've gone through the last two summers with a broken air conditioner in 115 degree heat that's uh that's my that's my that's what i drive and then uh where do i live um i rent uh from um some people from the church that uh bought a house and so i rent from them and i pay less than a thousand dollars a month you see you wanted to know i mean that there's your answer um yeah i don't have dental insurance (laughs) 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 if that means anything to you i don't know I don't have a 401k. I don't have an IRA. Um, what else? You don't I, have any like what else homes in that? Aruba. I don't have any houses. I don't. I don't own any real property like that. <laughs> uh, what else do I? What do I, I have? Uh, I have one credit card with a two hundred fifty dollar uh, balance. <laughs> we'll probably pay off by the end of the month. But uh, I have. I have one pair of shoes. Uh, one pair of boots uh, that I wear until. The they soul, literally fall until off. they literally fall off. That's what I. The, and then you still wear them. And I usually wear them while they're flopping around, <laughs> my heels flopping around. So I mean, God's taking care of all my needs, and I'm Great. completely blessed, and I'm thankful to God for all that I have. But maybe you think like I'm one of those guys that has like a you know like a Mercedes a and jet. you know I don't know. Um, I if, I'd like if someone wants to buy us a jet, we'll take it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That's the answer to your question.
each individual uh, subject. But atheism and agnosticism is what we want to talk about today. And so what I wanted to do last night was lay some basic foundations, sort of lay, this, this is the reason for apologetics, here are the goals in apologetics, um, here is the substance of apologetics, and then today we wanted to provide some applications. So the application today is with sort of the antithesis of the biblical worldview of, of uh, our Christian faith, and then we're also going to deal with one example, and that is a non-Christian cult, uh, a religion that apes Christianity, because oftentimes people will say, um, all right, I think I get it, right? Like, unbelieving thought cannot justify, provide the preconditions necessary for anything in life. Not for truth, not for beauty, not for goodness, yeah, not for nothing. laws of logic, not for science, not no for ethics. No preconditions for anything. Unbelieving thought is absolutely, absolutely absurd. It's foolishness, exactly as God describes it. And exactly. so people will oftentimes say, well, Pastor Jeff, I've memorized some of the things that you've said and you're on the street encounters and the debates. And I think I understand how to engage atheistic thought or agnostic thought. But then they'll say something, and I think maybe I'm just bad at communicating, and so I'm trying to work on it. They'll say something that kind of startles me. They'll say, but how do I do this with a Mormon? Who cares? And what that, I think, <laughs> speaks to me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's some great commentary. That's his commentary? Yeah. That's pretty much it the whole time? Yeah, basically, it's just sort of like little ribs and jabs, and and uh, I mean, it goes like that a lot. Um, but I, I mean, at least at least fast forward to a point um, where he tries to provide some meaningful answer. And so, um, so this is a particular portion where I was talking about ethics, and I I'm standing on two chairs. Well, there's two chairs there. I'm standing on one, um, and I'm showing that the unbelieving worldview has a particular view about origins, about ethics, about how you know what you know. And the biblical worldview obviously has its own set um, of, of view, views on origin, view on origins, on an anthropology, a view of man, ethics, knowledge, those sorts of things. Okay, so here is his attempt to respond to something I demonstrate in terms of atheism being completely refuted being irrational, being foolish, and the biblical worldview being the foundation for knowledge. Make a claim, and I want you to tell me if what's coming out of my mouth is consistent with what I'm standing on. Do I get to say this? It is an absolute moral obligation that we love our neighbors and not eat them. Okay. I can, whenever anybody wants to go down this line, I can just take the position of the moral nihilist, okay? <laughs> so his um, refutation of the refutation of atheism is, well, I mean, as an atheist, I can at least be a nihilist. So that's how, that's how I'll answer you, Jeff, is I will answer you with nihilism. And uh, for that, I have to play it. I'm so sorry ahead of time. I must. And uh, we'll probably have to bleep some of this out, but it's worth it. Nothing changes. Nazis. They were Nazis, dude? Oh, come on, Donnie. They were threatening castration. Uh-huh. Are we going to split hairs here? No. no. Am I wrong? Well, he... he man, they Am were I? nihilists, man. Huh? They kept saying they believed in nothing. Nihilists. I mean, say what you want about the tenets of National Socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. <laughs> That's a classic scene from The Big Lebowski. 
the nihilists they, they believe it. via the nihilists we believe in nothing <laughs> so okay so his answer is we're, we'll, we'll all be a nihilist that's how that's how i will answer that's how i'll answer um the claim or the statement uh it's an absolute um moral uh demand that you love your neighbor and not eat them uh as an atheist he says well i'll just be a nihilist to answer that what obligates me to do that you're just you're just declaring that it's it's morally obligatory did you hear that think about what was just said i said as a christian i can say it is an absolute moral obligation that you love your neighbor and not eat them right and his answer as an atheist to refute me in terms of that being a consistent uh, position his answer is say well i'll just be a nihilist and i'll say well what obligates me to that at all you catch that as an mm-hmm. atheist he's saying well what really does obligate us to that at all i'll just use nihilism as an example what does ob- obligate me to that absolutely because that's what atheism ultimately has no absolute standards no absolute standards of morality no reason ultimately to be morally indignant about anything no genuine coherent foundation justification for moral absolutes whatever mm-hmm. and that's what he has he well, okay, i'll be a nihilist now you need to demonstrate that it is because one can do that you give an example of somebody who does that later in this talk about the guy who you know went out and ate someone's face in florida or something like that okay so apparently you nothing is obligating him to do it okay and that's exactly the point don't you see is that there are people in the world who do eat other people's faces There are people in the world who put children into microwaves and turn them on. There are people in the world who kidnap little children and they go and do horrendous things to those children. Yes, there are people in the world who do those things. And so you have different behaviors in the world. You have people who say, love your neighbor, treat them well, um, do no harm to your neighbor. And you have other people that say, no, eat your neighbor's face. You have other people who say, destroy your neighbor. You have other people that say, um, take other people's children from them. And so you have all these different behaviors and activities in the world. And from an evolutionary perspective in your ungoverned, unguided universe, your unpurposed universe with a bunch of people who are random results of evolutionary processes, in your universe, you have no justification to condemn the actions of a man who eats the face off of a homeless man who's sleeping. That's a real thing that happened, happened Mm -hmm. in Florida. And that's what I did bring up in my talk. And what I said was atheists have no ability to justify a moral claim or condemnation against that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. It happens in the world. Now, from a Christian perspective, do I have a basis to condemn that kind of behavior? Yes. Those are image bearers of God. Those aren't accidents of evolution. Those are image bearers of God. We are to reflect God's holy standards and character. God has commanded against the murder of image bearers. And finally, are you ready? I have an absolute standard to demand justice in that case. And I also have the hope of the coming judgment in that Everybody who does murder their neighbor will answer to God ultimately for it. I have a standard by which to appeal where I can condemn these kind of actions as an atheist. What would your answer is? Well, we'll just take the form of more of a nihilist. There you go. Is what's coming out of my mouth consistent with what I'm standing on? Yes. And let's try I was standing on a chair to demonstrate the biblical <laughs> worldview. Uh, and this is, this is the kind of thing. It's sort of like it's two hours of sort of like ribs and snide comments. Uh, no real substance, of course. Yes. 
Do I have certainty about that claim? Some of you did not answer and were worried. <laughs> Probably Presbyterian. Okay, over here. Sorry, Marcus. I'm just kidding. Presbyterians are like <laughs> and my All my heroes are all Presbyterian. <laughs> oh, that's right. And I mean that. People are like, soon, Jeff, soon. You will be, okay. So over here, there's the biblical revelation. I can make the claim, and it's consistent with the revelation of God. I can make the claim, and I can say I have certainty about it. Now, here's the unbeliever, the militant atheist, and they're going to make a claim. Ready? It is an absolute moral obligation that we love our neighbors and not eat them. Now, I just said something. Was what I said consistent with what I'm standing on? There are no moral obligations. Do I have certainty about that claim? If you listen to one of the videos we have up, actually the one I pointed you to last night, it's uh, Jeff and Cy walk into a bar. When I talk to this atheist or agnostic or pagan that he became after that. So it was uh, one guy. When I talked to him, I brought up the issue because we got to near the end of the discussion. He gave up science. He gave up logic. He gave up morality. He, he didn't have any of those things. And I brought up, because he brought it up, the fact that he cannot ultimately know whether he's not supposed to eat human beings. And my, his response, I said, I said, do you eat hamburgers? He said, yeah. I said, do you eat fish? He said, yeah. I said, do you eat people? He goes, no. I said, given your worldview, why? It's a legitimate question. That we're all random results of evolutionary processes in this unguided no. and unpurposed universe. You eat other Wrong. results of evolutionary processes, but you don't eat people. How come? His response? They don't taste good. Okay, <laughs> so let's unpack that a bit. Okay. Evolution is not consciously guided, like I said before. It is, however, guided by the laws of physics, which are by no means random. Okay. They and how do you get laws of physics in a world that is not purposed and governed? You can't appeal to physical laws as constants. You can't have induction in the uniformity in nature when you admit that you live in an unpurposed and unguided, ungoverned universe. You can't have laws of any sort, not laws of thought, not laws of arithmetic, and not physical laws and constants, because you have to be forced into the position of atheist and physicist uh, at ASU, Dr. Lawrence Krauss, where he said in his talk with uh, Richard Dawkins that the physical constants we, we see around us came about by sheer accident. So, listen, you don't even have that. You don't even have those physical laws because you don't know that those physical laws will be consistent five seconds from now. So you don't have abstract laws, you don't have immaterial laws like laws of logic and arithmetic, and you don't have physical laws either. Do the same things every time in the same conditions. Okay, you don't. Nope, you don't have that either. Eat other people or other members of your same species because of an evolutionary imperative to do so. We catch that an evolutionary imperative to do so. Mm. So don't eat other human beings because of an evolutionary imperative. Wait a second, imperative command. Wait, wait a second. There's an evolutionary command mm. not to eat another human being. Where's that come from? Where's that written down? Where's that spelled out? Where's that decree come from? Is it you? You as a random result of evolutionary processes have decided for the rest of us that there's an evolutionary imperative that we're not to eat one another? You see, atheism has nothing to stand on. Nothing. It's just sentimentalism 
and personal preference. And he's going to go farther. Listen. Obviously evolved a long time ago. We obviously worked out the arithmetic that working together as a group provided more benefits for the individual than working uh, uh, alone. So here's, the, here's why you don't eat your neighbor, according to this atheist. Here's why. It's just not beneficial. He crunched the numbers. Because <laughs> he crunched the numbers, and they, we figured out that it's not beneficial for us to eat one another. It just, we lack the proper benefit. That's, it's just not, it's not beneficial. So in, 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 in this I case... I can think of plenty of instances when it might be beneficial. Right, so like in this, in and Alaska, there have been instances when saying. it was beneficial. Have you ever seen the movie Alive? Right, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying, right. Here's, here's the point. There's, that's it. That's, the, that's what they can do as a standard. They can say, I don't like it. It's not beneficial for society. It doesn't feel right to me. It's sentimentalism. It's ultimately just personal preference. It's arbitrary standards that can just get knocked down. There's no absolute objective standard outside of yourself and your own preferences. Because there are other bags of biological stuff that may not agree with your assessment of this evolutionary imperative. They may not appreciate it. They may say, you have no authority over me. And there are men like um, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer who didn't actually agree with your assessment. It was quite beneficial for him. He enjoyed it. it. He enjoyed it. It was beneficial for him. And further, you can go to YouTube and go ahead and look up a Jeffrey Dahmer video where Jeffrey Dahmer explains while in prison that what drove him to eating other human beings was, drumroll, the evolutionary perspective on the world. That's what he says specifically. Now, from his perspective, it was that foundation that gave him the justification to kill and eat another human being. And here's the thing. You have no argument with Jeffrey Dahmer at that point. No argument at all. None. Because there are no imperatives. There are no commands. There are no absolutes. It's sound and fury signifying nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So over, over periods of time, we, we develop mores, we develop moral rules based on that general idea. And they, and they are more and more conducive towards the flourishing of an individual. Who says that stardust should flourish, that it must flourish, has to flourish? Who says? You? You're stardust in a purposeless universe, and you don't get to tell anybody what to do. What happens when, the, when a collection of stardust comes along, and they actually there's more of them than you, and they create a moral imperative that they say you have to follow? Like, say, for example, we have to be able to kidnap and enslave black people. There's a, there's a moral command by a society. You can argue against that. There's a lot of them, and they think it'd be flourishing and good for society if you actually enslaved, kidnapped black people. What about if you're in a society that says, you know what, these people who say they they look like Jews are people, they're not people, they're Jews. We can kill those people. What happens in that kind of society? Do you see how it doesn't work? There are lots of societies that have done all all sorts of things that they thought were beneficial for society that you would call evil today, sir. It doesn't work. Okay. Well, just another moment here and we're all done. Listen to this. Nowadays, you don't eat people because that evolutionary imperative has ingrained it in you. And now we know you get um, uh, spongiform uh, brain brain disease from eating human flesh. So don't eat people because you'll get sick. Ah. Okay, and that no none of us, for whatever reason, we don't want to be eaten. I don't want to be eaten. Okay, I don't want to be killed, which I assume being eaten would involve me being killed or maimed. Okay, so. We've made it a global, uh, at least global within a society, that if you eat people, 
you will be incarcerated. So here's why you don't want to actually be immoral in an atheistic framework. This gentleman's atheistic framework. Uh, you could get sick and you might get caught. You could get sick and you might get caught. Now watch this. That's not a basis for morality. Because it doesn't fundamentally alter the heart condition that might desire those things. As a Christian, I can call those things wicked at bottom. I don't have to say, well, just because you go to jail or because you get sick, physically ill, I don't have to say that. I can say at bottom, it is objectively against the very character and command of God. And at bottom, it is wicked and evil and ought to be condemned. All you have is, again, sentimentality, you have preference, and you have ultimately fear of power. We'll throw you in jail. What about the person that wants to do these things? What if that's not a, a driving factor for him? Is that, is that why you tell him not to eat another human being because he'll get sick or go to jail? That's the reason? Okay. And before that, and in some states still, you will be killed for doing so, for attempting to do so, for killing people to why? achieve that end. Okay. Now, if you value... So, in this man's... Uh, now, know this. What this man is saying is that ultimately his ethical system is might for right. Whoever has the might determines right. what's right. Yep. So is that true for Hitler? Was it true for Stalin? Pol Pot? Mao? Might for right? Because they can enforce it? Because they had the might? Does that make it right? Think about that. Your own survival, you will not eat other people. It's as simple as that. I've, I've given you several reasons besides that they don't taste good. And all of them fallacious. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. He said it. And here's the thing. That is not the first time an atheist has told me that. If memory serves, when we had the head of... As a matter of fact... This gentleman just said it. I said that the gentleman at the bar said, I don't eat them because I'll get sick or they don't taste good, right? And this atheist is going along that same line. You'll get sick. The athe and I, ex I explain more here in a moment. The Atheist Society at, uh, at um, ASU on oh, our radio right program to do a little debate with them. I, memory serves, he said exactly the same thing. And then he laughed said, oh, no, no, I'm just kidding. We would get sick. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because you would get sick and diseased, that's why you don't eat people. Remind me never to hire you as a babysitter, okay? <laughs> but you see... So there you go. All right. So uh, any further additions, y'all? I'd love to do an entire program where we just respond for the entire time to that. But um, that was the, the refutation of a full refutation of atheism. And um, hopefully that was an encouragement to you guys. Just know this. Atheism, I believe, is in its death throes. Hmm. The more and more we learn about God, his creation, the universe, the more we discover in science, the more we see atheism is foolishness. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know it? What does God say? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Do you see Dawkins is freaking out right now? No, I miss that. Because we discovered that we're completely wrong about the number of galaxies in the universe. Oh, really? It is so much more than we ever thought wow and dawkins is freaking out he's just posting stuff talking about like we were wrong we thought we knew we we're wrong there's so much more it's so much bigger than we thought yeah and i when you think about it man what we thought in terms of numbers of galaxies 
in terms of where and what we actually see now. And who knows how much more it actually is than we've even been able to see in this moment. It makes you feel very, very small, and it shows God to be truly insanely glorious. So they were wrong when they crunched those numbers? They were wrong when they crunched those numbers. Um, mm. So encourage you guys to go to Apologia Studios on YouTube. Check out that message, How to Completely Refute Atheism. I hope it's an encouragement to you guys and get you on your feet to preach the gospel to your atheist friends and neighbors. Leah! Hey. Quick thing. Tell everybody what you're doing how they can connect to you. Uh, I'm a mom, I guess. Yes. I got <laughs> you know, you know, five hobbits and all that. Yeah. Yes. Recording artist and uh, entrepreneur. I help musicians build their fan base online now. That's what my husband and I do full time. Because I'm, I'm a walking experiment as well with my own music career. So I report the results and help people do the same thing. Right on. Um, if you guys want to connect with me, uh, you can find me at uh, like my music stuff. If you like Celtic metal, that's you can find me on Facebook. Metal, Middle Earth metal. Yeah. How I refer to it as. Hobbit meets Enya, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's facebook.com forward slash Leah the music. And uh, I don't know, if you want to follow my music marketing stuff, that's SavvyMusicianAcademy.com. And, and if they follow you in this SavvyMusicAcademy.com, Right? Yep. Okay, Savvy Music Savvy, Academy. Savvy Musician Academy. Savvy Musician Academy.com. If they, if they have a business, if they want to learn how to do internet marketing, they can actually still learn a lot from what you're doing. Oh, yeah. That, so if, they, if somebody has, if you're a Christian listening to this right now and you have a business, something to market, and you want to learn how to use social media to expand your business, you need to hook up with Leah because she has got some amazing, amazing tips and tools and resources. And so, yeah, get connected. Yeah, just swap the word musician with whatever you're doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's right. All right, guys. Thank you so very much for hanging in there for this long episode of Apologia Radio. Hopefully, it's a blessing to you guys. Joy the girl, we love you. Thank you. You're welcome. Luke the bear. Peace out. Steady Randy. Waving the jazz hands. <laughs> Wave the jazz hands. jazz hands. Marcus King Ginger, thank you, sir. No problem. And Leah, thanks for being with us today on the show. All right, guys. Catch you next time. Hey, guys. Don't fast forward through this commercial. Important message for you guys. We're meeting at a new location for Apologia Church worship services. I'm Jeff Durbin, pastor at Apologia Church. Join us for worship 4 p.m. on Sundays. Uh, we are a family integrated church. Sorry, do I introduce myself? They yeah, don't you know can who say I joy. am. Yeah, you can say joy. I don't. He can this cut is this, for so church, just talk though. About it. Yeah. But what do I do at the church? They're going to be like, that's one of those churches that has a lady pastor. I, I want to keep this as, as a part of the commercial. I want you to leave this. Okay. okay. All right. Luke. Uh, this is Luke the Bear, discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. And the new location we're meeting at, like Jeff said, it's the Tempe Vineyard Church. I think you said it was the Tempe Vineyard Church. No, I didn't. You didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> you just did. The address okay. is 1805 East Elliott Road, number 112. Tempe, Arizona, 85284. That is on the southeast corner of McClintock and Elliott. Bring your wives, bring your kids, and bring your husbands too, because we're teaching everybody up in here. Bring your beards, if you got them. Or no. It's up to you. I'll have mine. All right, guys. That's our new commercial. I think it's professional. <laughs> we'll see you at Apologia Church. Join us for worship. Apologyachurch.com